Morning, church. This is the word of the Lord from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Thanks, Peter. Good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Steve. I uh, serve as the uh, pastor um, in absentia here at Sound City, Um, a uh, position that I will be relinquishing uh, shortly as uh, Reese comes to join uh, the team and to uh, lead us in that uh, lead pastor capacity. Um, but as is uh, the tradition that I bring uh, to the services when I teach, um, I want you to uh, put your feet flat on the floor and I want you to sit up straight, put your hands in your laps, don't have anything in your hands. I want you to take in a few deep breaths. We're just going to take a moment here to be in silence in the presence of God as we begin to open his word and to study it. Father, we thank you for sending your son We thank you for that sacrifice. And as we think through this Advent season and we focus on his birth, Lord, may we never forget the reason that he came was to bring salvation to us. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. Now, as we open your word, Father, we pray that you would quiet our hearts and our minds. Help us to focus our attention on you. Change us and make us more like you. And we say these things in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning I'm going to be uh, speaking to you uh, from the book of Hebrews. Um, And as we do so, uh, I want to give us a little background and put these verses so that they're not just pulled out of this text, but we understand what the writer of Hebrews was trying to Uh, tell the people that he was speaking to, and then how we can uh, take a look at that and how it impacts us and how Jesus gives us joy. So we don't really know who the author of the book of Hebrews uh, is, um, but we do know that he was writing to uh, Jewish people that were in the diaspora or that were dispersed around uh, the Roman Empire, the known world at the time. And the basic message of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better So primarily speaking to that Jewish audience, this writer is telling us that Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than the law. Jesus is better than the prophets. Because where they were all pointing to what was to come, Jesus was the fulfillment of everything that they were pointing to, thus making him better. Because Jesus is better. As we look at this passage... Uh, The first word in chapter 12, verse number one, is the word, therefore. 
Now, when I was in Bible college uh, a millennia ago, I had a professor who said, uh, every time you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to find out what the therefore is there for, right? And so then that leads us to if chapter 12 starts out with the word therefore, then we got to look back at chapter 11 and say, what is in chapter 11? So chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews is commonly called or referred to as the hall of faith. And if you read through the, uh, the chapter 11, and I encourage you to do so, not while I'm preaching. <laughs> Later, when you get home, read chapter 11. It is a list of all of the heroes of the Old Testament that you could possibly think of. All of them are in there. Moses, David, uh, Noah, uh, Isaiah, Elijah, all of these guys are in there. And if you look back at their stories then, and, you, and the, the writer of the book of Hebrews is calling on these people as the Jewish uh, people would have known all of the details of their stories, just like you do because you spend a lot of time reading in the Old Testament, right? Good. So when you, when you hear these stories and you're reading these stories, you remember these guys didn't have it easy. Moses didn't have it easy. Noah didn't have it easy. Elijah didn't have it easy. None of these guys had it easy. As a matter of fact, uh, the writer tells us in, in chapter 11 that some of them were sawn in two. That doesn't sound like an easy life to me. That sounds like a tough way to end it, right? And so he says, because of all of these guys that are back here in, this, in chapter 11, this great hall of faith, he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, what are they witnesses to? You see, in their lifetime, they didn't get to see the fulfillment of the promises that were given to them. They put their faith and trust in a Messiah that they did not know his name. They just knew he was coming at some point. And that's what they put their faith and their trust in, that Messiah who would come. And in their, at the end of their physical lives, they had not seen the fulfillment. And so they were waiting on promises to be fulfilled that God made. Now, they got to see the promise fulfilled when Jesus uh, was born and came into the earth and took on flesh and all of the things that we celebrate here at Christmas time. They were able to see that, but it was after their physical um, lives. And so he's telling us then that if we look back here, we're surrounded by this great uh, cloud of witnesses waiting for that Messiah to come. He then calls us in this passage He says, because of these great cloud of witnesses that were waiting for Jesus to come, that didn't see that fulfillment, we need to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You see, we have to, that's, he's asking us now, this is what I want you to do. Because of those great cloud of witnesses, you're all spread out all over the place. We're waiting. Jesus had arrived. We're now waiting for that coming that is to come. He says, lay apart, lay those sins aside, run that race with endurance. This is the backdrop of the passage that we're really going to focus our attention on, which is that verse number two. That's what we're going to really look at. And so how does all of this fit together with our celebration of 
the Advent, our celebration of Christmas, if you will. Well, you got to remember, Christmas time is not always the most wonderful time of the year for all people. As a matter of fact, I think statistically, and I don't have any stats for you, if I was really a, uh, you know, great at studying, I'd have a bunch of Barna quotes. I don't. Statistically speaking, oh, and don't forget that 98.62% of all statistics are made up on the spot. But statistically speaking, a lot of people, this time of year doesn't bring about feelings of joy and excitement and all of those things. As a matter of fact, some people struggle during this time of year because of past hurts, family of origin stuff, maybe even the current trials and struggles that they're going through. They just can't bring themselves to celebrate and to think about this time as a joyous time of year. So when we sing joy to the world, sometimes people think, what joy? There's no joy here. Right, And so I think as we start talking about joy and we begin to move forward in this, we need to understand what joy is. So I found a simple definition for you from the Bible project of what joy is, but it really rings true to what this passage is speaking about and it rings true to um, my own experiences. The Bible project defines joy as a lasting emotion That comes from the choice to trust that God will fulfill his promises. I want you to really grab a hold of the couple of words in that that definition. Number one is it's a lasting emotion. That means that regardless of circumstances, we can always have joy. I want you to notice the word Choice. Everything that's presented to you, whether it be good or whether it be bad, you have a choice on how you're going to react to those things. You can choose to be joyful. You can choose to be grumpy. You can choose to be grouchy. You can choose to uh, be grateful. You have a choice. And our joy here is a choice. The choice, though, is not in me being whatever. The choice is trusting God. Trusting that God will fulfill his promises. You see, everything hope itself is built on the idea that promises are going to be fulfilled. It's the key element of what we're talking about here today is that there was the, 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 those Old Testament saints in, in chapter 11 that are mentioned there were looking for, forward to Jesus' first advent when he came as a child and, and then you, uh, grew, became an adult, death, burial, and resurrection. We look back at that advent and we celebrate it because that hope brings us joy. But we're also looking for an advent to come, waiting for God to fulfill his promises. And if we choose to trust God to fulfill his promises, then we can have that joy. So here's the big idea for today. And then we're really going to get into the sermon. That was all introduction. You're welcome. The big idea here today is that Jesus brings us joy. That's what it all comes from. 
So the first thing that I want you to see here in the passage, he says in verse number two, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. One of the things that reminds me that Jesus brings me joy is this simple fact, that my faith is not dependent upon my abilities. This is good news, because I don't know about you guys, but if my uh, salvation was dependent upon my abilities, I would be in a lot of trouble. You guys know, you guys remember what my email address is? Anybody? Nobody? Good. <laughs> that means you won't be sending me an email. My email is the abiding idiot. You guys are like, what? If you think about it for a minute, abiding in Christ is what we're supposed to be doing all the time. But I'm an idiot and I mess up all the time. So if my faith was dependent on my abilities, I would be in trouble. Paul wrote to the church at Rome and he said this, for I do not do the good I want. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. That's where we all live. When I read that passage, every time I come across that passage, that is an oh me moment. I read that and I feel it viscerally. I can relate. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body? Well, the beautiful thing is, is that we know who that is. Who will deliver me from this body of death? It's Jesus. And the passage here tells us that looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of my faith, and I, I wonder if the writer of Hebrews uh, had that Old Testament story in mind where the serpents came into the camp. Do you remember that one? And God told Moses, in order to save the people, what you need to do is you need to make a brazen serpent and put it up on a pole, and as you raise that pole up, if they will look at the serpent, then they will live, right? You guys remember the old song? Maybe you don't. It's, um, I don't even remember it myself. <clears throat> the song goes something like this. I'll just sing just a little section of it. Look and live, my brother, live. Look to Jesus now and live, right? And I'm wondering, as, as the writer writes this down and he says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. You see, Jesus is the founder. He's the one that set it all up. He's the one that put it all together. 
And you know, uh, even in our own lives, when anything that we want to get a hold of or any kind of uh, device or organization or company or whatever it is that want, if you can get a hold of the founder, the guy that built it, the guy that invented it, the guy that created it, the guy that put it together, you know that if he's running things, that things are going to go all right. In the business world, when you're working for a company where the owners are present, there's a safety that you feel. When the owners are replaced by a board of directors, nothing feels safe anymore. But our faith is not dependent on board of directors. Our faith is not dependent on us. Our faith is held, kept, and created by its founder, Jesus. And there's a lot of joy in that because there's freedom in that. I don't have to worry about my faith. Jesus has it. Not only is he the founder, the scripture tells us, but he's also the perfecter. Your uh, uh, version of the copy that you have of the Bible may say that he's the completer or the finisher of our faith. You see, he's got this from the beginning to the end. This is the faith that he created. And if we'll look to Jesus, that we can live. We don't have to worry about all the stuff and things and all the stuff. The worst thing that they can do to me as a human being is end my physical life. You know what that means? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that's not dependent on me. If it was dependent on me, I'd be in a lot of trouble. The writer continues on. Who, speaking of Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. I want you to think about that for a moment. That Jesus, uh, the, it says for the joy that was set before him. When you think about it, he knew why he came to earth. He knew what was coming. He knew the pain and the suffering that was in his path. And the Bible says that he looked at that in joy. Now, why did he look at that in joy? Because he also was counting on God keeping his promises just like we do. Here's the second thing about Jesus bringing us joy. Not only is our faith not dependent on ourselves, but our or my sin debt is paid in full. My sin debt is paid in full. Now, if that doesn't make you glad and put your happy shoes on and get dancing down the aisle, I don't know what will. You see, we're born with a nature that drives us towards sin. And then we personally, individually choose on a daily basis to continue to sin, even though we know it's not the right thing to do. Paul told us that. As a matter of fact, but our sin debt is paid. You ever paid something off? I don't know that I have. You ever paid something off, a car, your house, or whatever, and you know, and you got it. Here's the title. It's in my hand. I own this thing now. I don't have to keep making payments. There's a real release there. You know that that payment that you've been putting out every month, now I can use it for something else. But you're an American, so you trade whatever it was that you just paid off in, and you get more stuff. 
Our sin doesn't work that way. Our sin debt is paid in full. Here's what Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Can you, can you get it? There's a debt that you cannot pay, and he paid a debt he did not owe. And because of it, you are not held liable for your own actions. Your sin debt is paid in full. Let's talk a little bit about that cost. The Bible, the scripture here says that Jesus endured the cross. I know it's Christmas and not Easter. But he was born to die. And it is his sacrifice. And it is his pain. And it is his suffering that paid that debt for us. Now on one hand... I want you to feel the gravity of the impact your actions had in the necessity for Christ to have to come and do that. On the other hand, I want you to understand that Jesus, according to this passage, joyfully went to the cross for you. And because of that, he takes that joy and he gives it to you and he says, rejoice, Your sin debt is paid in full. Your sin is paid in full. He endured the cross. He also, the scripture tells us here that he endured the shame. I want you to feel that too because that's something that as uh, Western Americans, we don't even use that word anymore. No one is ashamed of anything anymore. Everybody's just living their own truth out loud And there is no shame. But our sin is shameful. We should view it as shameful. And Jesus endured that shame for us. Now I know that's kind of a downer. But from this side of it, again, the liberating act of having a debt-free existence That doesn't mean that you get to run willy-nilly and do whatever you want and continue to sin uh, without repercussion. What it means is that you're free to live the way that Christ wants you to live. You're free to carry that message to a a people that that don't know him and haven't heard of him. You're free to live growing closer to him. All of those things because your debt is paid in full. And that's liberating, and that should bring you joy. Here in this last section, after the cross, enduring it, enduring the shame, the scripture says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I don't don't know about you, but... 
being raised here in uh, the United States where we don't care too much for kings and we love individualism and the individual nature, the autonomy of the individual man, sometimes the idea of a king or sitting on the throne, all of that imagery kind of gets lost on me. Did anybody experience that? You guys are fine with kings? Great. We fought the British. Never mind, anyway. Sometimes that imagery gets lost on me and I don't really understand it very well. It's hard for me to wrap my head around. Like I understand King Jesus, I got it. But I don't, in my own life, don't have that kind of experience around me. What I do have around me are people that are in charge of things and people that are not in charge of things right? We've got bosses and presidents and so forth, and I can understand that kind of context a little bit. But what I want you to see here is that he is seated. That's a past tense word, seated. That means he's there now. At the right hand of the throne of God, Jesus is seated there. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, and he said this, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul is writing to the Ephesians there and he's telling them is that Jesus is the head over all things. And that's what this means, that he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God is that Jesus is in charge of all things. Now here comes the joy because I need you to hear it and understand it because not, we don't always live in a joyful space. Sometimes, I, I literally stopped watching the news in 2020 because I was tired of hearing it. I know it's rough out there. I don't need somebody else to come into my house every night and tell me how bad it is. You should try it sometime, not listening to the news. But Jesus is in charge of all things. And I know that you guys heard about anxiety last week and Uh, all of those kinds of things and we can get really anxious and all of those and everything that's happening in our lives but we need to remember that Jesus is in charge of all things so there's two things here that we need to see that he's in charge of I'm going to talk to you I'm going to give them both to you and then we're going to kind of talk about them uh, together Jesus is the ruler in all of our victories and Jesus is the ruler in all of our failures Now, remember our definition of joy. Our definition of joy is that we make a choice to trust that God will uh, complete his promises, that he will do what he said he's going to do. So as a ruler in our victory and in our failure, sometimes it's hard. And you may know people that ask these questions. If God is a loving God, then how come X, Y, and Z happens, right? Maybe you've even said it to yourself in the middle of your struggles and trials, said, God, why me? 
Why do I have to deal with this? Why am I going through this? Why is this happening? Maybe somebody told you, go and read the book of Job. It'll help you. Those laughter was from people that were told that and went to Job. (laughs) Job is tough. You know what the big picture of Job is? Trust God's wisdom. Trust God's wisdom. I don't know why God does the things that, uh, or allows things to happen. I don't know why all of those things, and we can get in a big existential conversation about why God put a tree in the garden and all of the stuff. We can have all of those conversations, but what it really boils down to is that we have to put our trust in him because he is in charge of all things. Don't mishear me. I didn't say he causes all things. I said he's in charge of all things. He knows He knows the struggles and the trials and the hurt and the pain. Even if it doesn't feel like he's there, he's there. There was another song that they used to sing along, uh, I don't know, decades ago. He's as close as the mention of his name. Think about that. In all of your trials and struggles, Jesus is in charge of all things. Now, here's the big The big idea here is that Jesus gives us joy. He brings us joy. We're waiting on that second advent. And so in the middle of all of these things, trials and struggles, and the the writer was writing to Hebrews and they, to the the Jews that were in the, uh, dispersed all over the world, and their problems were real and visceral and physical, even to the point of death because of their faith. And Every writer in the book reminds them to continue to rejoice and to have joy, right? And so even in all of our trials, our struggles, our victories, our failures, we need to remember that Jesus is in charge of all things. And if Jesus is in charge of all things, he's the perfecter and the finisher of our faith. He paid our debt in full. He is in charge of all things. That is friends, allows us to live our life in joy because we can look back at what he did and see that he fulfilled his promises and we can trust with confidence that he will fulfill the promises that are yet to be fulfilled. And in that, we can find joy. Christmas is a wonderful time of year. And during Christmas, Christians and non-Christians alike view the lens, view the world through a lens of generosity. And if you, for those that don't follow Jesus, their hope is in humanity. Somehow humanity can pull itself up by its own bootstraps, they can right the ship and everything will be great. We know that's not possible. Those of us that follow Christ We walk through this season with joy and not just this season, but every season of life, walking through with joy, trusting that God is going to fulfill his promise, that in Christ, in Jesus, all things will be made new. And it's that hope and it's that trust that allows us to live our lives 
enjoy a gift that Jesus gives to us. Let's pray together. Father, again, we are so grateful that you uh, took on flesh, that you dwelt among us, that you lived a sinless life, that we're so grateful that you paid our debt by enduring the cross. We're so grateful that you didn't stay that way, though, that you were resurrected, bringing life to all of us. So, Father, we are so grateful for the gift of joy that you have given us. We're going to trust you that as you did in the past, fulfilling your promises, that you will do so in the future. And we live our lives in the joy that you've given us. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, we're doing communion too, yeah? I haven't been here in a while. Give me a break. (laughs) So now we're going to transition to our time of the Lord's Supper or the the Lord's Table. And this is a great opportunity for us to, um, even in this time, to celebrate what Christ uh, has done for us, to remember uh, those sacrifices uh, that he paid. Uh, I'm going to ask those that are uh, serving for us to go ahead and make their way uh, into position Uh, And just as a reminder, that communion here is for believers. Uh, If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, have put your faith and trust in him and have been baptized, uh, you may join us. If you have not, um, we ask that you refrain uh, from this meal. Uh, What we're going to do, as always, is ask you to come down the main aisle, uh, take the uh, elements, uh, and then make your way around the outside and uh, back to your seats, remembering that the light area is wine and the dark area is juice. Uh, let's read from our passage uh, as we do uh, each week. Scripture tells us, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Let's pray together. Father, again, so grateful for your body that was broken and your blood that was shed. Lord, now as we partake in this meal, Father, we pray that you promised that if any two of us were gathered in your name that you would be in our midst. And Lord, we pray that as we celebrate this Uh, communion with you, Lord, that you would commune with us even now. Father, change us. Make us more like you. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen.